You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I wanna be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I wanna be a producer. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Arden, director of the revival of Spring Awakening on Broadway. I'm so incredibly humbled by my Tony nomination and our nomination for the show this year to be remembered in a season this incredibly vibrant, diverse, and groundbreaking is truly an honor. And now I'd like to introduce my friend, Ken Davenport. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, everybody. This is Ken Davenport, and this is the Producer's Perspective podcast. So a little story. The first Broadway show I ever attended was The Phantom of the Opera in 1989. And after I saw it, I went right back home, bought a nice frame from the local Walmart-type store, and the first thing I did was frame my playbill. And for the next five years of my life, I framed every single playbill I had until I almost went broke on the frames. And I'm not the only one. I bet tons of people out there have been framing their playbills since they got them or saving them in a box uh, because they are valuable in such a memory. Today, we are going to talk to the guy responsible for all those playbills, one of the most powerful and most valuable brands on Broadway. Here is the president of Playbill, Mr. Philip Birch. Welcome, Phil. Thank you, Ken. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. So why don't we start with, can you tell us a little bit about the history of Playbill, the first one, how it got to start? I think the history of Playbill was, was started by a man named Stern uh, 19, in 1884 when he had the bright idea that he would uh, print a bill, which, as you know, a bill is a single uh, piece of paper that uh, would list the names of the actors. And, and around the bill, he would put the names of advertisers, mostly restaurants in the area. 
And this bright idea uh, caught on and has been in effect for 132 years nonstop. It's quite uh, an impressive uh, history of success for the theater. Now, you obviously have not been with it for those 130 years. You, you're relatively in the history of Playbill, a newcomer. To I, I'm, I'm a stranger to it, yes. I've barely here 25 years, so I, who really am I to the history of Playbill? But the history of Playbill is, is really quite interesting in that it's only had you know three or four owners. It's one of these, these gems of a, a company that people buy and seem to keep for better or for worse. Uh, the the history of Playbill is also reflects the history of of theater and the history of the actors uh, ac- actors equity and the unions and really the uh, showing that the history of theater and and the history of needing to show the public who is c- the creative forces behind these shows it's hand in, it really goes hand in glove in 1913 as you know when actors equity was formed Playbills uh, became more complex because they uh, demanded of the theaters that, that, that the people in the shows have a recognition. And people around the shows, uh, uh, the other creative forces, also put into their demands that they be recognized by the public for their creative influences upon the production. So Playbill played a very uh, important role in recognizing the rights of all the creative forces in the theater community, and the theater owners happily uh, agreed to all this and allowed them to uh, get the credit they were due. So Playbill played a very uh, important role in establishing a important reporting of the uh, wonderful people that were creating the entertainment that people enjoyed. And this is something to flash forward a little bit, London doesn't have a free playbill like we do. They still no. don't. No, they don't. They, I did try to. I was asked by Andrew Lloyd Webber to uh, bring a playbill to London and was blocked by the uh, the oldest uh, problem in the world, which is stealing. Uh, the uh, the uh, people who were uh, in charge of the programs in, in London apparently were enjoying the old Saturday Evening Post trick of delivering 120 newspapers to a newsstand, and the newsstand were supposed to sell only 100, and they kept 20 for themselves, and the money was passed around. Same thing goes on in London today. And uh, so we couldn't break into that little uh, little cash surplus for uh, for certain folks. So, no, we couldn't break into London. We, were, we can't swim in the Thames with cement blocks on our feet, so we decided it was a mistake to pursue this any further. So, that, no, and also... In London, they don't have the same uh, protections for the creative forces and the actors that America happily has. There is no obligation to list all the creative forces for the audience. And the only way you really will learn anything about the performance somewhat is to buy the, the program that they sell, which is terribly dated and not accurate and really almost inevitably has the wrong cast in it. But it's attractive and it's four colors and a nice paper and and uh, sold for five pounds or six pounds each quite a uh, penalty for for it uh for the theater goer so how did you come to be the owner of playbill what, what was your history before it were you a theater guy or well you... it's a very it's a fascinating and intriguing tale which can be described in one word nepotism 
So I was fortunate enough to have been working on Wall Street for a dozen years. And my father, who owned Playbill at the time, uh, told me he was going to sell the company or want to sell the company. And after a series of long discussions and painful negotiations, we, uh, not that painful, I tease my father, and we, uh, we came to a very fair and just agreement. And he was uh, very gracious and very, uh, uh, I think, very thoughtful to, to me and my brother and sister. And we bought Playbill from him over time. And, and we've enjoyed the ownership of it uh, since 1995, I think, 96. But you were working on Wall Street at the time, so you weren't even working in the theater. No, no, I was a uh, a Wall Street philistine, and uh, we uh, we were a gentle sort of crew of uh, of uh, monsters that were making the world unsafe for investments, I suppose, for the regular folk of the world. Actually, that's not so true. I worked in mergers and acquisitions, so I only made it unsafe for a small corner of the world. So with this outside perspective, you know, I'm a big, I, I love it when people from the traditional business world enter ours because ours is such a unique a animal, very unique right? niche. So what was your first, when you started showing up here in the Playbill offices every day, what was the, your first sense of like, oh, this is, this is different? Oh, it was very different. I had, I had been used to doing $100 million deals and working on uh, on all kinds of, of, of very, uh, very much larger activities. And I never had anything that reoccurred in my life. So the idea of coming to a, to coming and running a company that actually had an, an annual schedule where the Tony Awards did occur every June and, and, uh, and openings came in this time of year and the Broadway Cares events were always in, in November or early December and April and, all these things became clear to me that I had actually entered a community, that I had left a, a band of mercenaries, of soulless, greedy little urchins, and joined a community of talented and wonderful people who were trying to build something from nothing all the time. It was really quite an eye-opener, and I, I met so many uh, special and so many creative forces and it was a, a a true sea change. It was as if as if I had you know left a, a war torn Afghanistan and and walked into into uh, Denmark. It was a, just a complete complete sea change, an attitudinal change also. And I and I think I became a nicer person because of it because I was around so many talented and sensitive and smart people who were uh, really trying to be very creative and very uh, resourceful. And trying to bring a joy to people's lives, which was a quite a departure from Wall Street. So those are all the good things about joining in this community. What was one of the hardest things about all of a sudden being thrust into this? Well, actually, the hardest thing was I joined uh, in 90, around approximately ninety three during the AIDS crisis, and the hardest thing of all was trying to figure out what I could do and what Playbook could do as a company to combat this this terrible tragedy. And I uh, and so that was very hard. And I joined the board of directors of Broadway Cares in uh, 93, 94. I was uh, named the treasurer of the board and I worked very, very um, hard on being a good treasurer. And actually I've been treasurer of the board for 21 years now, 22, oh my gosh. and. Uh, it's been one of the great rewarding uh, 
work of my life. And uh, so that was the, I would say, emotionally, that was, and, and, and intellectually, the most the hardest challenge I've ever seen anyone face. And the heroes of our industry that stepped up and, and worked so hard to try to help our community through this devastation. It was a very meaningful, uh, very meaningful battle that we still are are fighting, but are we have made a lot of progress and we continue to fight forward. But I think that was the hardest thing. I mean, everything else compared to that was really quite simple. So obviously everyone knows Playbill as the magazine they get when they sit down in the theater, but that is, of course, just the tip of the iceberg of the brand. And what I've noticed over the last five years, especially from 10 years, is the brand seems to have exploded. All of a sudden, there are all these other things going on. Tell us about how you've led Playbill into the 21st century. Well, I've led and misled Playbill into the 21st century on a number of, of ideas. I think that, that all companies, no matter how old or young they are, and Playbill being 132 years old, is a older company. Though quite young for an Irish pub, it's quite old for an American company. I think that the key is to is to maximize a brand's value. And Playbill is a brand because it it's, has a very meaningful message for the people who interact with it. Uh, Playbill is always there in the theater. It provides a, a lot of continuity to the audience. It gives them a gives them help in enjoying what they're about to uh, consume. It's a souvenir for to remember what they enjoyed and to refer back to if they choose to, to save them, which they do a lot. Apparently, you're not the only one. We sell, sometimes we sell 20,000 binders a year, people who are collecting these uh, playbills and we're happy and, help, and grateful to sell them to them. These the This kind of association with uh, Broadway is has been very meaningful, and so the brand has has been has grown with Broadway, and the brand because it's it's been it's been so loyally there in all of New York and the rest of the country over the last many years. People uh, associate our brand with with I think a uh, a very stalwart uh, company, and uh, and our audience is a great audience, so. We've tried to build upon that relationship we have with the audience in a meaningful way. We're not producing satellite decoders. We're really trying to do all things that are related to people's enjoyment of the theater and to to be a part of their theatrical world. And so we've created a number of, of ideas, some good and some bad, but mostly good, that have helped people enjoy theater more, have helped young people enjoy creating theater themselves and we've uh, also tried to to build upon the love of theater and the love of doing other things outside the theater for instance this last january we had uh, we we're partners with mischief management and we uh, partnered with them to create uh, help them create and to be a part of broadway con BroadwayCon was a surprising success for everyone. Um, I was surprised only because I'd never participated in a BroadwayCon or a Comic-Con-like event before. But we had 5,100 people come up, even in the snow, to enjoy and to express their love of theater. 
And I was so impressed by their enthusiasm and their passion. And there's a good example of a brand extension. We will be doing Broadway Con in 2017 in January at, at the Javits Center. And we've, uh, we've rented, we've, we have rented the Javits Center's north and several other massive rooms, which when you look at them when they're empty, you think that, my God, how would we ever fill this? And Because uh, they are really unbelievably big. One room I know we could fit three 747s in. I mean, it's just, it's just so huge. But these will be the room where it happens in January 2017. And just this week, we put, we put the uh, tickets for sale for January. And we have sold hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of tickets in uh, in a matter of days. So these brand extensions are working. Uh, we started a company called Playbill Travel where we do uh, Broadway cruises because in business you always want to try to find that Venn diagram. And you all know what a Venn diagram is. It's when you take two circles and you intercept them. And the part that is intercepted is the area of your focus. So that when two circles intercept and there's a there's a, uh, there's a space where they both overlap. That part is your target. So in that Venn diagram, Playbill Travel takes people who love theater and people who t- love cruises. And when they're where they intersect, that's where Playbill Cruises uh, is focused. And so we've been able to, or at this point, we're literally chartering uh, ocean liners and we're filling them with people who love theater and love cruising. And we bring along wonderful Broadway stars who enjoy the trip as well. And it's a, and it is a hoot. Everyone loves the cruises. I love the cruises. We have a, we just advertised a cruise last week. We didn't even advertise it. We sent an email out to our past passengers who are sold out without even advertising it. So we're, so the brand of Playbill is working, but it would never work without Broadway as the foundational part beneath it. So these are kind of the brand extensions we've made. And the first one you're thinking about, I guess, is Playbill.com, which we started in 1995. And that was a leap of faith. No one knew it. There's no uh, DSL. It was like dial-up back then, AOL, it, it, maybe. Like, what, what kind of online activity? Could I, you it, I think you had to pedal, if I recall. You had some generator going while you actually got online. We actually started as a as a, a, a partitioned part of, of CompuServe and Prodigy, you may remember. Most of you are, may not be old enough to remember that the Internet once really didn't work. And we uh, tried that for a while, and then I... I just discovered that we had, I discovered something called the the World Wide Web, which no one ever uses that phrase anymore. And I just decided that, that was the future in 1995. And, and, uh, and we just went full force into it because I felt that people wanted more information about theater and Playbill.com really does provide an enormous amount of theater news. And we still to this day are proud of the fact that we provide the best level of news of any reporting organization on theater in the world. And we have 30, 40 stories a day. And I think that people want that kind of information. Baseball and theater are a lot alike. Most people think about baseball, watch baseball, and uh, discuss baseball far more than they attend baseball. Same thing with theater. There are people out there who want to talk about theater. There are people out there who want to read about theater. And so we built Playbill Online based upon the fact that people wanted 
a lot of information about theater because they loved it. And we were right. People do want information. And people are now getting the majority of their information online about theater in 2016. And that site, obviously, is it's certainly my favorite theater site by far. And I say that as a producer who always advertises on Playbill because I know those people are there. Um, it's changed a lot. It just went through a big redesign, right? Yeah. Yes, we did. We just redesigned it. It's a uh, it's a more it's a, a much more um, modern site, and I, I find it to be a uh, easier site to to participate in because it's less stimulating and it's more focused on on the material that we want people to choose from. I think that I think that all sites have to go through a little bit of a changeover period where people have to get used to the new site and of course we've heard people who hate the new site we've heard people who love the new site and it is definitely age related um i did have to say to one person who complained a lot about it that i did say mom you have to get used to it and the hamburger on the left i'll put the word menu under it and if you will remember that it will work better and uh that uh, almost mollified her and uh so i think we made progress can you give us any exclusives, any new Playbill initiatives that are in the garage right now waiting to be unveiled? Well, yeah, we are, uh, we are, well, we're working on a new Playbill uh, con, as we, Broadway con, as we talked about. Uh, we have uh, our Playbill travel uh, area is, is beginning to go into river cruises after our ocean cruises. Uh, we are, you know, in, we're beginning to chat about. Uh, with some investors about maybe doing a Playbill Hotel in Times Square, which would be a uh, huge, huge undertaking. We would not own it. We would not be. We don't. We don't. We could never have the money to do something like that. We would simply be a licensor of our name and and a participant in the hotel's marketing and being a part of New York. But I think that's a program we're 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 trying to push forward with a, with a several investor groups. Uh, it's it's a difficult time for hotels in Times Square in 2016 because people uh, don't uh, want to stay in hotels longer than they sleep and eat breakfast. Because when you stay in Times Square, the last thing you want to do is spend your day in your room reading a book. I mean, you really, it's much like a theme park. And I've argued that Broadway is like a theme park and, and the shows are like rides and we could use a hotel. And so maybe that would uh, convince people to do it. But I think that the hotels are suffering from also the OTA problem, the online travel agency problem, where the hotels have done such a good job that you can't tell the difference between a Hilton or a W or a Sheraton or a Renaissance or a Marriott. And so because they're doing such a good job, the online travel services are just waiting for the managers to make a mistake. And, they, and then they make a mistake and they charge $195 for a room and no one's making any money. So I think a hotel, a theater-centric hotel would do much better because it would appeal to a very, very loyal and very theater-centric audience. And we would have some fun things in the hotel as well that would, I think, make people want to stay there. I think if you need some letters from people to your investors saying that they would stay there. There are thousands of listeners right now that I think would all stay there. I know I would stay there. I've actually blogged before about how there's no uh, Broadway walk of fame, like a star, like right. the Hollywood walk of fame or 
a, a Broadway museum in Times Square. This Playboy Hotel could be all of those things. I think it could be a lot of those things. I'm not sure we have enough sidewalk to really cover the Walk of Fame as, as it should be covered. But I think we could have a very, uh, a very important uh, display of Broadway memorabilia and history in the hotel. And I think we could have a great deal of good entertainment at the hotel and themed rooms and, you know, really celebrating the history of, of theater in New York. And so I think that people really will enjoy this idea when we, when and if we bring it to fruition. So it's one of our projects. And I can't, you know, I can't, we're not going to own the hotel, so it's not going to be ours to, to, to command, but it will be, we will have uh, participation in it, and I hope it happens in the next you know, year and a half, two years. It should, if it does happen at all. Well, I'm in. Just so let me good. know. Uh, thank you. Uh, one of the things I noticed about the website that is different from any of the other theater websites out there are you have no reviews on your site. Correct. And no message board. Correct. Why? Very good question. And we, uh, we number one, reviews are very, um, I think reviews are not Playbill's role. There's a lot of people reviewing theater. There's a lot of people hectoring theater. There's a lot of people with a lot of opinions in this world. Our, our website and our magazine is about being positive about theater, presenting it to the audience. You make your own decisions. I think that there's, I think it would be unfair for Playbill to review, to review a show and the producers have to take our magazine. We have to be in their theaters. And if we were to review a show poorly, I think it would be a cinder in the eyes of a producer that one of our writers didn't like it, and therefore we would say that. We have too much... I think Playbill has is the good housekeeping seal of Broadway, and I think that if we didn't like something, I think that would be very damaging versus just another opinion. So I think you have to be fair and say... You know, we're going to let other people review. We're going to let our... We want our audience to experience as much theater as possible. And there's good in every show. There's, I don't believe there's ever a show that isn't worthy of seeing because there's always something in it that is quite excellent. There's always some actor or actress doing a good job or there's some wonderful group of songs worthy of listening to. I don't buy the fact that you should miss a show because someone didn't like it. You have to make your own decisions. So that's re reason one and, and many more why we don't have reviews. Why we don't have message boards is, is a decision I made years ago because I saw the same people, the same socially misperceptive, angry, snarky people dominating message boards constantly and scaring off people who would like to make a contrarian opinion to those theater police. And therefore, I felt that, that, that it was a waste of time. And I look at theater blogs, theater boards you know, often, and they always descend into hell. I mean, it just, it just takes about six or seven opinions, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose, and nastiness shows up, and opinions go awry, and... and Somebody gets called something, and I just find I think they're a waste of time. And by the way, they're a waste of time on a lot of sites. You go to the Washington Post, and twelve things in, somebody hates the president, somebody hates the, uh, some Dick Cheney comes up, and I mean it's just awful. So I don't, 
I think mostly the message boards are filled with the the, uh, the truly unsettled and and uh, under uh, un, uh, undereducated. So I don't have a big respect for that. Plus, I also saw some kind of disturbing stuff on our message boards where people started doing role playing on it, and it just seemed like a feeder farm for you know you know. Uh, all kinds of child molesters. So I thought, forget that. We're not doing that either. So I just shut it down and said, let 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 people make their own opinions elsewhere. I think that's a very fair approach when you, and just to clarify for the listeners out there, when you say the producers have to have the playbook, because your deal is with the theater, right? You're, Correct. You're, the theaters make a deal with you to have the playbill. So as a right. producer, I go in, I get the playbill, and we're very happy to get it. But I think that's a very fair approach. You're not going to have people review when I don't have a choice. I, exactly. I, I could have to carry that review in the magazine as they're watching the show. <laughs> that would be that would be really terrible. But also, uh, the role that Playbill provides is a, a critical one because the 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 contract that the theater owners have with all of the unions states within those relationships that they really have to have a program in the theater that highlights the creative forces behind the show in that theater. It's of no cost to the producer or to the or the theater owner that we are there, but they someone has to provide this service to fulfill the contractual obligations for, for instance, actors' equity. There has to be bios in the uh, in a, on a piece of paper, hand, handed, literally proffered is the word in the contract to every individual patron. So, this is a um, an important task that producers are very terrible at uh, fulfilling. And by the way, my good, dear dear friend Jimmy Nierlander Senior once said to me. That was the worst decision he ever made. And he said to my father as well, when he decided to produce his own playbill for the Palace Theater back at Sweet Charity Days. He said, I'm never doing that again, he said. And I appreciate that very much as well. He's a wonderful man. And But it's hard to produce because the rules are very complicated, as, as many people know. The inside of a playbill has to change weekly to reflect the accurate cast members. And if if there's someone out in the midweek, there has to be a slip in there that describes who's out and who's in with a bio as well. And so it's not easy. And, you know, and someone said, why do you have to change weekly? I said, well, a lot of people's cats change names and their new boyfriends and new girlfriends and, and thanking another deity this week. And but they also and the cats do change, of course. And people don't realize how often a Broadway uh, cast uh, changes in larger shows. It's quite uh, continuous. So you said something about the actors' union requires that the patrons get on a piece of paper, and then you talk about how difficult it is, and I'm sure expensive it is, and time-consuming. And in the green world we live in now, do you ever think there will be a time when Playbill is purely digital and there is no magazine? And it's people have said that, and but people love their playbills, and without that receipt, without that souvenir, without that experience, I think theater will be uh, less of the experience that people enjoy because it is part of the theater going process, and the digital 
digital uh, effect will be that the shows will be interrupted by light and that and people do refer to their playbills in the middle of the shows. They do want to read them all the time and, you know, take a look at, you know, how many acts there are, who's this actor, who's I mean, people, people do use their playbills during the show. If it was you know, a digital, it will destroy the, 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 the main the main role of the audience, which is to be unnoticed and to be quiet and to participate in a as a spectator in the story that's being told. Digital things are very intrusive and they do they can really wreck a performance. So I think and I you know I've talked to a lot of people, even on Broadway Green Alliance, and they're not against playbills. We do use uh, recycled paper as much as possible. We recycle our playbills. We take them out of theaters and we recycle them regularly because paper is expensive and recyclers want to want the paper back. So we do a very good job. And plus, there's no real harm when somebody keeps their playbill and puts it in a frame or a, or. A, uh, a binder that doesn't seem to make me a landfill uh, that way and it's all and it is by the way uh, a natural product so it's all just paper and clay so it's not very damaging my favorite form of free advertising is the playbill as I go on a subway at a subway station on my way home at about 10 30 at 11 o'clock and look at all the people holding their playbills in their hand uh, it's a conversation starter for sure it's a fun, you know, that's a fun train to go home on. There, it's, you always see all the the uh, actors, and you see the patrons, and you see the musicians all going home, and it's really quite fun. There's a, it, at 50th Street uh, Broadway line. It is a it is a convention. It's like a little Broadway con on the train. It's really quite funny that all the actors and actresses and musicians and and all the uh, other creative people are on those trains and you could really start, I mean you just start recognizing people and you start to say how how the show go and you know it's just quite a fun uh, fun moment I it's I that's a little fun fun secret on Broadway that 50th street station going uptown yeah. <laughs> it's the cheap version of Joe Allen's bar central yeah, it's all at 250 then you know and, and uh and you have, get home. Have you ever thought about producing yourself? No, it, producing is very hard, Ken. What you do is really quite impressive. Producing is a is a real art form, and it's and it's a detail world of endless details, and it's and it's uh, a very risky environment, and, and and it's wonderful, and it's I and I admire producers for their pluck and their creativity and their and their their I think. Really, there were risk quotients. I mean, they very few people understand risk in business, and producers really do understand risk, and they they play that risk game as well as any any on the trading floor at Goldman Sachs. I mean, it's really quite impressive what producers are able to do, and the and it's I always I always describe to my friends what it's like to be a producer. Like the guy in that circus ring spinning plates. He just has to keep the plates spinning. He has to keep spinning. Run over that plate, slowing down. He's got to spin that one up. He just keeps circling and spinning the plates. I mean, there's so many plates he's got to keep going and keep spinning. And he can't let any of them hit the hit the ground and break. I think it's very impressive what, what our, all our producer friends are able to do. And it's a real, it's a real uh, important, uh, pro, important you know, process for the theater, of course. 
And to learn to be a producer is not available in any business school. To be to learn to be a producer, you got to work for a producer. This is the one of the last journeyman, you know, kind of uh, of, of of occupation in America. It is uh, you really only learn by trial by fire, right? Would you, you know, how'd you learn? Yeah, I learned by working for lots of producers, exactly. actually. And then I learned the most just by getting it out there and producing something myself and having flames nip at my butt Absolutely. every single day, for sure. It's truly one of the last great entrepreneurial events. I have a little joy of, of once and now and then owning and being involved with horse racing. And, and that is somewhat like producing because producers do something which is so magical is they make something from nothing and they just truly take some they just find talent they find creative teams they find stories they they build a a a entire system and a machine that's supposed to come together and 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 be a and be an an active breathing uh, event and it's 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 quite amazing to you. They, they take something and make they take nothing and turn it to something from from zero to sixty miles per hour. It's really quite impressive. It's a lot like horse racing, where you you have a, a horse that's born and you hope and pray he's healthy and strong and is fast and he'll run well, he'll stay healthy and nothing will go wrong. And and that's the same kind of thing. That's as much producing as I could do as as oversee a. A horse here and there, but uh, producing is hard. You see a lot of advertisements on your site from shows. What do you think the biggest mistake that Broadway makes in terms of its advertising? The biggest mistake is not being able to communicate to the average person what the story, what the essence of the show is about. People are overstimulated in 2016. They, they, a person could receive thousands of stimulations a day and unless your message is clear unless your message is is concise it's very very hard to get people's attention and to be able to find that tribe broadway is a series of tribes it's not a singular audience there are people who only go to musicals or people who only go to plays or people who only go to good plays and musicals or people who only go to really, really good musicals and once in a while a really great play. There are people who only go to plays with a star and there are people who only go to shows that are, you know, depressing. I mean, there's, there's a, there is a, there are groups of people on, on Broadway and for a producer to be successful communicating to all these tribes, they have to have, be able to bring a clear and concise message of all the positives of this show and why it's worth seeing. And it's not, sometimes it's not enough to, to cry a star. It's not enough to, you know, just show a good looking person in a, in a, in a story. It, it, it's, you have to, you have to hit the audience up on a number of, of, of angles because we're dealing with a vast array of consumers who consume differently. There are people who have to see everything. There's people who only have to see hits. There are people who only want to see uh, shows that are controversial. 
you have to appeal, to, you have to figure out how you're going to hit these groups carefully, give them the message that they're able to, uh, to um, enjoy, and be able to, uh, you know, maximize their theater-going power. For instance, if you talk to real experts on Broadway about ticketing and the audience's behavior, 60% of the people in the audience are seeing their fifth or sixth choice. They're not seeing their first five choices, four choices. One, they can't get tickets, or they might have actually seen it. So now you're dealing with uh, the next tier. And so a lot of producers don't understand that this is a massive population. These are people who already buy into the fact that they're going to see a Broadway show. And if you study the amount of time between the purchasing and actually seeing a show on the age of a show, you could really understand that, well, I have to really appeal to people who haven't yet made a decision. And so there are all these different tribes that you must, must hit up effectively. And so the mistakes that I see are the, the, are the producers who don't understand the herd. And if you don't understand the overall herd of different types of, of behavior, you're only going to appeal to a part of it. And then all of a sudden, you will have this weird moment where your sales just drop. Like, what happened, you'll say? We were going well, and boom, we hit a wall. And that's because you just appealed to a singular tribe, and you didn't go across the spectrum of all the tribes. So that's, that's what I've learned by observation, if that's helpful. All right, my last question, which is my genie question. Oh, goody. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes to your office door, yeah. knocks on it and says, Mr. Birch, I want to thank you for your contributions to the theater, and I want to grant you one wish. What's the one thing that drives you so crazy about Broadway, that makes you mad, that can get you pounding on the table, that you would want this genie to wish away with the rub of his lamp? I probably would want the empty seats of Broadway to be used for better for underprivileged people. There are so many empty seats. There's so many people who should be seeing sitting in those seats. I so wish there was a methodology of getting those empty seats, which are going to go to waste, to young people who we can impress with our great, great product and make them lifelong fans. There's so much we can do to share the wealth of our our resources. It won't cost us any money. But I, I would like to see us have a system in place where the 50 or 60 empty seats at all the balconies can be put into a pool for teachers and students and, and people like that who would truly, really fall in love with what we do. It's a great answer, and I want to thank you for sitting down with us, and thank you for letting me adorn my walls with your playbills. Until the next time, I'm Ken Davenport. This was the Producer's Perspective Podcast.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.